again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. Now, I'll give you a few guides for that. Right? It's saying that one side of this doctrine is that those who are truly born again will be kept by God, will be preserved by God, and will persevere as Christians. And those who persevere to the end show that they're truly born again. Right? They can see evidence of true salvation. And that, as I was saying earlier, the controversy here, and I want to bring up this first point, is the controversy of distinguishing between eternal security and perseverance of the saints. What is the difference between those two? When I talk to you about eternal security or the doctrine of eternal security and the doctrine of perseverance of the saints, what is the difference in how you understand how those two could be understood? Jason. Okay, very good. Anyone else? Correct. Now, I think it's important because we've heard the doctrine eternal security. That phrase is a phrase I'm careful and weary of, and I'll tell you why. While it is a true phrase, we are eternally secure in Christ based on his redemptive work. There is, a, there is a, a, a flip side to that. A lot of those in the Arminian brand of Christianity will often promote eternal security in a way that's unbiblical. All right? so, so, for example, in the Arminian perspective, you come to an altar call, you say the sinner's prayer, and you give your life to Christ. Right? You, you accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're done. You're saved. You're going to heaven. It doesn't matter how you live the rest of your life. It doesn't matter if you, um, you go to that one confession and then never go to church again. And if you live as a sinner the rest of your life, you're going to go to heaven. I remember, frankly, when I, prior to becoming a Baptist, I was a Pentecostal and I was in a Wesleyan Arminian church. Uh, that was how I came to faith. And when I say Wesleyan Arminian, there aren't too many churches like this anymore. Does anybody know what a Wesleyan Arminian church is? You didn't know none of that. Well, that's part of it. A Wesleyan Arminian church is basically five-point Arminians. There are not many five-point Arminians. Most Christians are either four-point Calvinists or two-point Arminians. There are no one really that are full-fledged five-point Arminians. It's a rare breed these days. I happened to go to a church that was. And so in our church, every Sunday we had an altar call because, heaven forbid, you might have lost your salvation that week and needed to get it back again. Uh, I had a, a terrible case of spiritual bipolarism where one week I thought I was saved and one week I thought I was lost. And, one week, and I would go to altar calls constantly and it was the most awful experience. When I came to the doctrines of grace, it was the most liberating experience. Um, having said that, I go back to say that this doctrine, and from this also comes the, the idea of carnal Christianity. Right? Anybody ever heard that term, carnal Christianity? 
You see, among Arminian doctrine, is particularly um, in the early 20th century flavor of the fundamentalist flavor, the, the doctrine began to develop that you can accept Christ as your Savior without having him as Lord. So you could come to an altar call, you, could, you can say the sinner's prayer, and you would be saved, you would have eternal security, you would go to heaven, but getting the second anointing, which Brother Jay talked about, that second anointing would come at some other point in your life where you accept Jesus as Lord. And then that, that dwarf or, or evolved into the second blessing, Pentecostalism. Now the problem with that is, is that you have a lot of people that are so-called carnal Christians in the sense that they've accepted Christ as their Savior, they've given the sinner's prayer, they know Christ, but they're living contrary to his moral will that's revealed in the Word. But they're saved, they're going to heaven. This was the whole premise of why John MacArthur wrote his book back in the 90s, The Gospel According to Jesus. Has anyone ever read that book? The whole premise of John MacArthur's book on the gospel according to Jesus was to not only combat this heretical view, but to preach and teach what we call and refer to as lordship salvation. In other words, when you come to Christ, you do not just accept him as your savior, but you surrender to him as your Lord and Savior. You give your life to him. Pastor Paul? Yeah. Correct. All right. So Moving forward then, we understand that this doctrine of perseverance does not promote carnal Christianity or carnal indulgence, nor does it promote the continuation of sin, but the true biblical doctrine teaches that all believers who are truly born again will persevere to the end of their lives, and those who persevere to the end of their lives are truly born again. However, this doesn't mean that Christians don't sin, right? You also, the other error means well, that we're, we've reached a perfection, a holiness in this life. No, far from it. We, we still have remaining sin in us. And so we, we succumb at times to our sinful passions. We succumb at times to our flesh. Um, and like the prodigal son, we have to return to the Lord. But it doesn't mean we've lost our salvation, nor does it mean that we need to regain it. What it simply means is, as our confession said, that at times in our life, we have to renew our faith through repentance. And um, the true believer can fall away, and even for a, a long season. Uh, David is a perfect example. David was the king of Israel, and he uh, uh, raped Bathsheba, and he murdered uh, her, his, his, her, her, her husband to cover up his sin. You can't get more heinous than that. And yet he 
stood there as the king of Israel for a long period of time. Uh, it was at least a year before he repented, um, if not more. Uh, he was a miserable man during that period of time. The Lord had really dealt with him, uh, but when he repented and surrendered his life back and he renewed his faith in, in Christ, uh, David was once again uh, established in the Lord. And so we can fall. We can, we can make, mess up. We can mess up really bad. Um, but with that, there is always restoration for the true uh, believer. Um, uh, Proverbs twenty four sixteen. Can someone read that for me? Amari, is it possible to turn that off altogether? The screen up there? Oh, okay. I'm sorry, could you say that again, Pastor Louder? Yeah, correct. Yeah, the wicked falls and it's done, right? Like, like it says in Deuteronomy, thy, thy foot shall slip in due time. But the righteous man, although he falls seven times, he will rise again, right? And so there's that, that confidence we have in the work of uh, Christ in us. So, yeah. Okay. I would thank you, Pastor, for bringing it up. That's really good because we're in a culture today where um, we become so polarized as a country, uh, politically, and just its effect that we rejoice in the downfall of our political enemies. Uh, it's an us versus them. It's a tribalism. We, we 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 eagerly want to see the destruction of those who are opposed to us or different than us, and that's not the way of God, right? That, that's clearly not. And so, yeah, that's a very good warning. If you rejoice in your enemies' fall, be careful as God take, turn away his wrath from you, them and put it on you. Um, I, I have, I have um, learned that lesson in life <laughs> the hard way years ago. Um, but that's God. God is good. He teaches us lessons. Uh, sometimes we learn easy. Sometimes we learn hard. Um, but in any case, let's look at the perseverance of the elect. Um, we're... And I think what we're doing, or preservation rather, I want to talk about the preservation of the elect because that was something that we, we want to distinguish here, talking about God's preserving grace because we can't talk about perseverance until we talk about preservation, right? It is God who preserves us. It is God who keeps us. Any persevering we do is because of the grace of God and the strength of God in our life that is holding us and helping us keep it together. Um, Joel Beeking says this, the preserving activity of God undergirds the saints' perseverance. He keeps them in the faith, preserves them from straying, and ultimately perfects them. Oh man, that is so good. And it brings me to Romans 8.30, right? Romans 8.30 say, 
those whom he predestined, he called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. The word glorified there is in the past tense. And, and, and you say, why, Paul, why would Paul speak about glorification in the past tense if glorification is a future reality? That is because in the, in the, for the believer, for the one who is in Christ and who has faith in Christ, it's a done deal. It, it's, it's past tense. You, we are already risen in heavenly places with Christ Jesus because God, God's work of salvation is complete from beginning to end. And that process of saving and sanctifying and justifying, glorifying, cannot be interrupted. It cannot be altered. God, God's work is complete. Uh, Philippians 1.6 tells us this, that he who began a good work in you will be what? He will, he will bring it to completion. We used to sing a song, I remember when I first got saved in that old Wesleyan Pentecostal church. I don't know if you guys remember it. Uh, he who began a good work in you. He who began a good work in you. All right, I'm getting, my, my singing is getting carried away to you guys like Bob, you're a preacher, not a singer. All right. um, God has begun the work. He has, he has begun this work of salvation. He's faithful. He will complete it. God doesn't start something he doesn't finish. When I... Um, I have a lot of projects that I start around the house. I'm, I'm notorious for this. I start a project, I get about halfway through, and I leave it, and I go start another project and leave it halfway through. So I have a lot of half-baked projects around the house. Thankfully, this summer, I got a lot of it up to date. But then the new projects start, and I'm always up to something new. Uh, point being here is when God starts something, he finishes it. God does not start something he doesn't intend to finish. If God has begun that work, He will complete it. He will bring it to perfection. John chapter 10, verses 27. Um, can I get a volunteer to read that? John chapter 10, 27 through 30. John 10, 27 through 30. Powerful verses in the New Testament. I mean, when you think of what Jesus is communicating there, you go back to John chapter 6 when he gives the bread of life discourse. And what does Christ say? He says, you know, all that the Father gives to me will come to me, and I will raise them up on the last day. This, this basically brings into uh, um, in sync with Christ has said all throughout the Gospel of John, and that is that, that there is a group of people called the elect and the Father from before eternity past has, has selected these people, the elect, to be his people. They are his sheep, and he gives them to the good shepherd, and the good shepherd will care for the sheep. And look at that. We will know the voice of him. We will follow him, and he gives us eternal life. Notice the two, the two permanents here, the two um, uh, absolutes. We will have eternal life and never perish. They will never perish. Perish. The word never is in is in absolute. It, it it means 
It means that there's no possibility, there's no chance of something ever happening. In fact, I remember when me and Chloe were going for premarital counseling, I remember when we were, we were uh, taught never use, or never use two words when you're debating or arguing. Never and always. Because never and always are absolute terms. You never do this or you always do this. That's false. No one never does every, something or always does something. Those are absolute terms. When we talk in absolutes, we're talking about God. When God says you will never perish, only God could say that because God has the power to do something perfectly forever. Pastor. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I know. I always think of that, that advertisement by um, 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 Allstate. You're in good hands with Allstate. Here's my singing. It's going on today. Uh, but, you know, you're, you're in the hands of Christ, and then over his hands are the Father's hands. I am the Father of one. No one could snatch them from me. That's a beautiful thing because, you know, I, I think we have to see something. Not only are we protected by God, from Satan and from our enemies, but we're protected by God from ourselves. Jump out, yeah, yeah. Well, people only hear what they want to hear. We all have, we all have presuppositions, as our Wednesday night Bible study uh, discussed. And until God um, strips away those presuppositions with His Word, you know, we we all have uh, different beliefs and presuppositions that we bring to the table, don't we? All right. So uh, one more. Let's look at. I think this is a really good one. Is Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. Can I get a volunteer to read Ephesians 1, 13 through 14? Verse 15, next verse 2, 14. guys get that you guys get that he's given us the holy spirit we've been sealed and that word guarantee there that word guarantee in greek is the word arabon and in modern greek the word arabon means engagement ring right when you want to marry someone you give them an engagement ring it's it's sort of like the down payment it's the it's the promise i'm i'm promising to marry you with this ring it, it, there's stakes in it. You spend money. It's not just, well, I'll give you my word. No, I've, I've spent a, a, several thousand dollars to put a, a ring that guarantees I'm going to fulfill and complete what I set out to do. So it's the same thing where God gives us the spirit 
And it's basically a guarantee. It's a, it's a sign of his promise that he's going to give us the rest of the payment. It's the down payment. And God, God, is, God is not a deadbeat dad. God takes his promises to the down. He pays what he says he's going to pay. If God promises, I'm going to give you eternal life, no one can take it from you, you could rest assured God will do so. Right? We saw recently some of the banks are, are starting to become insolvent. And, uh, you know, people are losing money. The banks just go bankrupt. And so, uh, but we say, well, we have the FDIC, right? Uh, if, the F, if, if, you know, up to 250000 if you have 250000 in the bank and the bank goes belly up, the federal government guarantees you two hundred fifty grand, right? What happens if every bank goes belly up? They're going to give everybody two hundred fifty grand, or they're just going to print money out of thin air? So that's the thing. Man can only make a promise so far. But when God makes a promise, he can make it. Why? God has infinite resources. And God doesn't say something that he can't do or back up. You see, your promise is only as good as your ability to back it up. And God's word is true. May every man be found a liar. Pastor Paul. Amen. 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 That's, that's, the, that's the whole point. It, it, it feeds into it. Um, Romans 8, 31 through uh, 39. Uh, listen to this conclusion by Paul on the golden chain of salvation. I love this. Who will condemn God's elect? Who will bring any charge? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Absolutely nothing. Nothing. The whole premise is He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up us for all. How will He not also with him graciously give us all things. Friends, if the believer can lose their salvation, then God's election would be ineffectual. Christ's blood would be spilled in vain. The Spirit's power to sanctify impotent. To say you can lose your salvation makes it completely dependent on the human will rather than the grace of God. And if that's the case, we're all doomed. Yeah. No, he won't. So with that said, we, we see that God's uh, pres- preservation, his preserving grace, um, is absolutely necessary and fundamental to uh, understanding how we persevere. That brings us to our second point. But before I go there, any questions or comments? Any thoughts? Mm-hmm. 
Hmm? Oh, absolutely. It's the hope. It's the hope of Christ, right? The hope of glory that's in us that keeps us going. And without that, we are. I mean, if I have to depend on my feelings or my own personal behavior, my my salvation is going to falter. See that our salvation is only secure as the one who secures it, and that is Christ. I think what happens is the doctrine. I, I and I, I guess you know words can always be misused, right? The word evangelical has a negative connotation today, and it shouldn't. It's just what happens in society, how people label things. But when we get down to the ter- term eternal security, it's been misused by many to promote the brand of carnal Christianity. Um, I think that, you know, the balance here is, again, those who are born again will persevere, and those who persevere are born again. It's a reminder that this is doctrine is very much true to those who are God's elect, those who are in, in Christ. And there are many outside of Christ who claim these benefits and don't know the Lord. They need, they need spiritual regeneration. They need rebirth. Um, you know, it, it, I think the perfect example is when John the Baptist is preaching and the... Um, the Pharisees approaching, are you the one that we should be looking for? Is there someone else to come? And he, he you know, he relaunches into his, uh, <laughs> John, his fiery sermon. He says, behold, the axe is at the root. You call yourselves sons of Abraham? He said, God is able to raise up from these stones children for Abraham. In other words, they were resting in their eternal security that they were God's people. Right? They confronted Christ in, Rome, in John 8. <laughs> we're the children of Abraham. Jesus says, if you were the children of Abraham, you would do what Abraham does. And so that brings us to that. So yes, we're secure in God, but we have to see the second side of that. The evidence that we're secure in Christ is our perseverance. Now let me just say this. When I talk about perseverance, there is, there, a perseverance means we keep going. It means we might, we might mess up. We're going to fall, we're going to screw up, we're going to get tired. There are going to be times where we might even pack it up for a little while and say, I'm not doing this no more. But if you're a child of God, you can't do that forever. If you're a child of God, something's going to well within you. You're not going to be able to, to have peace. You're not going to be able to sleep at night because the Holy Spirit is going to urge you to repentance, urge you to get up and fight again. The fight, and the good fight is something that, you know, I love the movie Rocky. How many people have ever seen the movie Rocky, right? And Sylvester Stallone. I mean, Rocky's the, the eternal punching bag, right? He gets beat up and he keeps getting up. He keeps getting up. He get, he's not really a great fighter. He just knows how to get up and keep fighting. Can't you just stay down? Can't you just quit? He doesn't quit. He keeps getting up. And that's the true believer. The true believer finds the strength from Christ to keep getting up and keep going. So let's kind of look at this perseverance aspect now. Perseverance is essentially the believer's response to their understanding of God's preserving grace. As Paul was saying before, when you know the grace of God, it spurs you to want to continue. It spurs you to want to uh, serve God. With that said, there are many people who think they are saved that they're not. Right? Paul was quoting a sermon, Matthew 7, 23, Apart from me, I never knew you. These are very religious people. They were exercising demons. They were 
proclaiming the gospel, they were prophesying, but they were lawless. You see, lawlessness is really um, what, what is at stake here. Um, in Matthew 24, 12, uh, it tells us in the last days, lawlessness will abound and the love of many will go cold and only those who endure to the end will be saved. I think we're living in those days. I believe we're in the last of the last days. We've been in the last days since the first coming of Christ, but I believe we're at the end of the uh, current present evil age. I think the signs are clear. Um, we're seeing lawlessness abound. The love of money is the love of many is waxing cold. Um, there's just a sense of godlessness like never before, and it's not just America; it's all over the world. In fact, it's worse in other countries. As bad as America is, there's still an evangelical witness in America. There's still biblical Christianity. And although biblical Christianity is growing in places like China and in uh, um, certain nations in Africa, the bottom line is uh, it's still a minority religion. It's still a minority. The majority religion in, 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 in most countries in Africa is still uh, Islam or animistic religions. You go to China, it's still Buddhism and and ancestralism. Christianity is still a minority. But in America, although we're on the decline, we're still a lot of Christians in this country. We're, we, were, we were founded as a Christian nation, but we're on the decline. And if America goes down, the rest of the world goes down. The world follows America. If you haven't learned this already, whatever America does, the rest of the world follows. When America said back in 2014 that homosexuality, uh, homosexual marriage is good, Every other nation in the world followed rank and started legalizing gay marriage. Why? Because America is the leader of the world. And we're losing our sense of moral compass. And if we go down, the rest of the world goes down with us. We, we have a very powerful influence. And I'm not saying that, that I'm saying America is exceptional, but it is reality and it's what God has given us, a stewardship. And if we lose that stewardship, we fall. But getting back to the topic and what, 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 what this all circles back to is to show us that there's a responsibility to persevere. There's a responsibility to repent. There's a responsibility to move forward. And what we're saying is that true Christians, those who are born again, will persevere. They will continue to fight. Here are some Bible verses to look at. Philippians 2.12. Uh, we, we, we hear this verse a lot. Um, Therefore, my beloved, as you have obeyed, and so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So you see here both the per- preservation and the perseverance going hand in hand. Uh, there's a cooperation here. There's a working together. But work it out with fear, with trembling. There's a sense where, where God saves you and he wants you to, and that word work out means to energize. It means to, to materialize. Uh, just don't sit there dull and say, well, I'm, I'm not going to do anything until God does it in me. No! If you know something's the right thing to do and you fail to do it, what does the Bible say that is? Sin. Pastor Paul?
Absolutely, you know. Unrepentant sin does can really uh, cripple us. All right, listen to this. Colossians 1, 23. If you indeed... Well, let me... 21 through 23. And you who once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he's now reconciled in his body of the flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. Indeed, if, if you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So as Marcy was saying about that hope in the gospel... We're not to shift from. That hope is to be the, it's supposed to be the goal. It's supposed to be what what the finish line looks like. It's why we keep going. It's why we keep fighting. The emphasis here is continuing in the faith. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 14 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you, may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We've come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. This is showing that the Christian life is full of challenges and temptations and the, 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 the deceitfulness of sin is about us every day. Sin is very deceitful. Sin lies to us and makes false promises to us that we'll be happy, we'll feel better if we sin and it, and it, and it bites us in the end. We always lose but we're to encourage and exhort one another. Why? So that the evil and believing heart doesn't get the better of us. We need to pursue, we need to hold firm to our original confidence to the end. Verse, let me just say this. It's not how well you start, it's how you finish. That's what matters in this life. What matters, it doesn't matter, you know, the parable of the sower tells us there's a lot of people who rejoice in the Lord, right? A lot of people come to salvation, they're exuberant joy, and they're out, and, and then trials come and they're gone. You know, we see other aspects in, 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 in the parable of the sower, those who, who um, uh, are not saved. There was only one of the four soils where there was fruit developed. It's not how well you start, it's how you finish, it's how you end this life. It's when you're in your coffin. It's when... when when I or Paul or some pastor is officiating your funeral, what are people going to remember about you? What's your legacy when you die? Did you finish? Did you cross the finish line well? And we should be mindful of that, and I'll tell you why. You don't know when God's going to call you. Will you go home today? Will I go home today? How will people remember me? If you were to die today, how would everybody remember you? That's a question we need to ask. And while, while it's true, it doesn't matter what man thinks, the way we conduct ourselves in this world certainly is an expression if we're in Christ or not. We're told in Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not, what? Give up. 1 John 2.28, little children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back at his coming. So I guess the question then becomes, what about people, what about people who come to faith in Christ or who are part of the church and then fall away? Right? I've, I've been a Christian for almost 30 years. That's a long time. I don't know where the 
don't know where time goes. I have no idea where it goes. I feel old. 30 years have gone by almost that I've been a saved man. And I could tell you that in this journey, there have been many people that I've walked arm in arm with. They were my friends. They were my brothers in Christ. They were my sisters in Christ. They preached. They led worship. They gave great testimonies. They were evangelists. And they are no longer following Christ. They have forsaken the Lord and they have renounced Christ. Why is that? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What happened? Did that person lose their salvation? Were they saved and did they lose it? Well, the reality is they never had it to begin with. 1 John 2, 19-21, listen to this. For they went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would have the word continued with us. That word continue keeps coming up. But they went out that it might be complained that they are not of us. They went out from us because they were never with us to begin with. It appeared that way. And by the way, it doesn't matter. I could think of when I got married. When I got married, there was a, a brother who I went to church with who was my groomsman, one of my groomsmen. And Michelle knows who I'm talking about. And he was probably the, one of the best preachers at North Shore Baptist Church after Ed. He was a young guy, filled with the Spirit. And he, he was my, I mean, I hung out with him every day. We would study the Bible together. He was evangelist. He's not walking with the Lord anymore. How do you explain that? It's hard to fathom sometimes, but he was never of the Lord to begin with. Maybe he'll come back one day. And they say, well, he was. And that's the thing. I mean, there are times, we don't know the ways of the Lord. There are some people who may fall away for a season, it could be years even, and come back. Right? Like the prodigal son. The prodigal son took all that the father had and he spent his life and in, in, in indulged in sin. And when he was in the pigsty of sin, he said, oh, things were better at father's house. And that's a reminder, in this life, no matter how far you've fallen, you can never say it's too late. I can't give myself back to God. Look at Brother Joe here as an example. Brother Joe is with us. He's a testimony that even after years, you could still say in your heart, I'm, 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 I want to come back to the Lord. And it's never too late. It's never too late. You know when it's too late? When you're in the grave. That's when it's too late. But as long as you have breath in your lungs, don't, ever, don't let the devil say, oh, oh you're, you're too far gone. You met, I was talking to someone recently who, who left the churches and Way down in sin, he goes, I'm too far gone, Bob. I can't come back. I've been gone too long. It's never too late. When you're pronounced dead, then it's too late. Because it's appointed for man to die once, and then comes judgment. But those who are true believers will persevere to the end. They will persevere to the end. And along with perseverance and preservation comes the beauty of assurance of salvation. What is assurance? Assurance of faith is the conviction that by God's grace one belongs to Christ and has received a full pardon for sins and will receive eternal life. Such assurance includes freedom from guilt, joy in God, and a sense of belonging to the family of God. Do you guys know that assurance of salvation? Christ. 
truly don't know the Lord, or two, is you don't have that assurance because sin condemns assurance of salvation in our life. When you're in a pattern of sin in your life, it creates guilt and doubt and all kinds of uh, insidious feelings. Because that's what sin is meant to do. Sin separates you from God. And, and, I, and, and even if you're a believer, and even if you're in Christ, if there's unrepented sin in your life, what's that going to do? It's going to distance you from God. I have two children. God has blessed me with two children. I love them. I'll never disown them. I love them unconditionally, right? Even if they mess up really bad, I love my kids. Those of you parents know that. You love your kids no matter what. There's times they really disappoint you, isn't there? And we still keep loving them. But there are times when they disappoint you that they will know your disappointment. They will know your, your lack of, it will show by your lack of affection. I'm not going to feel all lovey-dovey with my my kid, or my one of my children, if they're, if they're messing up real bad, right? I still love them. I'll still feed them. I'll still clothe them. I'll be there for them. But I'm not all affectionate and, and feeling all, you know, tingles up my spine about them. In fact, I may not even want to talk to my children. Right? As a parent, you may know, as it comes to time, if you're upset with your kid, you may need to. And there's times as Christians where we may mess up and God may say, Give us the cold shoulder. Not because he hates us, because God hates sin in our lives and he wants better for us. And here's a disciplinary process that God's going to put us through to bring us to repentance and restoration with him. Sometimes you need to know the pain of living without assurance. You need to know the pain of living without God, without his, his, his countenance, his face upon you for good. You need to know what darkness is to value the light. And sometimes God will diminish the light of his presence and diminish the light of assurance of salvation so we may feel the weightiness of the darkness of sin and come running back to the light, crying in repentance. Do you see the wisdom of God? If we as parents can relate to our children in a way, God does it in a more perfect way because we're sinners. I still get angry. I get unrighteous anger that, that can manifest itself in a negative way that I'll have to repent to my children for. I just, parents, if you lash out at your children in an angry way, it is behooves you to repent to them. But God never sins or never demonstrates an anger that is unrighteous. Any questions? Thoughts?
Mm-hmm. No, I, I know I know what you're talking about. They, they will, ne- they, I will never lose them. can't lose your salvation. You may lose your way. Well, I think a true believer will never fall completely away. However, we can fall in this life. We can have falls. We can have spills. It's part of the reason why we have church discipline. We have church discipline because it's meant to restore the believer to repentance and to faith with Christ. No, no, I, I don't. Th- I've never said that. No, no. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we, we don't know the mind of God. We don't know all that goes on between someone who falls away and someone... You know, there's a lot of warning passages in Hebrews about falling away. But I think ultimately the reality is if you fall away utterly from Christ, then you never were saved to begin with. So if you, you know, one of two things, either you were a child of God and you repent and you come back, or you never were a child of God and then God saves you later in your life and you, you come to Christ. But... But ultimately, like I said, you know, it's not how well you start, it's how you finish. Let me read from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, and it refers to this idea of falling away in verse um, 20. It says, for if after they escape, this is 2 Peter 2.20, for if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness 
and after knowing it, to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. But the true nature, what the true proverb says has happened to them, the dog returns to its own vomit, and so after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. So this, this is saying something pretty strong about apostasy. It's saying the apostate is better to never know. Because to know the way of righteousness and then to turn from it, you reach a state where your, your state now is worse than it was prior to having a knowledge of God. Um, and I've seen this. I've actually seen this firsthand in people who apostatized. But this question, this question, by the way, because we're talking about apostasy, plagued the early church because the early church had an issue with those who renounced Christ when they were about to be executed for him. So in the early church, right, Christians were being executed for their faith. There are many who were being brought before Caesar, brought before the Roman government, renounce Christ and you'll we'll spare your life. So there were people who renounced Christ. Correct. Correct. No. Correct. Well, we're, we're talking. I'm I'm stretching this out a little to apostasy right now because that is that is part of this situation. What do we say about those who apostatize? So in the early church, there was a big debate. What do we do? So after someone renounced Christ to spare their lives. Most of them were forgotten. They were lost forever. But there were some people who wanted to be restored to the church. They said, please, we want to be forgiven. We want to be restored to fellowship. There were those in the church who said, no, you're done. You're outside of Christ. There were others who said, no, we have to show forgiveness. Uh, Augustine was um, part of this debate. and uh, Augustine was of the mindset, you know, let them, uh, let them be burned up, you know, in hell. It was, a, it, was a, it was a very controversial thing. I say all this to say that we, we can't always explain or understand how apostasy works. But I think in the long run, if you have forsaken Christ completely and you've gone back to the world, you've never experienced true conversion to begin with. That doesn't mean that you can't be converted later down the line. And there are cases where some people may fall away for a season. But here's the thing. If you fall away from Christ, That's when I worry. Because when you don't care no more, when you are past feeling, then yeah, you are the pig returning to the, to the mud pit. You never were saved to begin with. However, with all that, I think there's always hope. 
bring me back to perseverance of the saints. The saints are going to persevere to the end. The saints are going to cross the finish line. The saints are going to endure. They're going to fight the good faith, fight the good fight of faith, and they're not going to give up. They're not going to grow weary of doing good. Although there were many in the church who renounced Christ, there were many who were faithful and gave their lives for Christ in those early uh, times in the church. There were many who renounced Christ, and the Roman government says, okay, we're still going to kill you. And they're renouncing, they died most pitiful deaths. What can I tell you but this? I encourage you all with this final verse. Look with me in Jude, the book of Jude. It's right before Revelation. And that is to look to Jesus because he's the one who keeps us. We preserve, but it's he who keeps us. And if the Lord were to let us go, which he promised he never would do, then we would all be lost. Look what it says in Jude chapter 24, Jude verse 24 rather. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time now and forever. Father God, I thank you once again for this time together. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your power, your power to save, your power to keep us, and your power to present us before yourself on the last day, spotless and blameless, according to your purpose and goodwill. We pray, O Lord, that you would now be with us as we go our way, and may all the words we heard in Sunday school and in our sermon uh, dwell within us and enrich us in your word. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you all, and have a wonderful day.